0: Uh, Kirby can't be here today. He had some health concerns. And so he called me uh, in the last hour and asked me to step in. And because it was in the last hour and because there's a lot going on this week, I reached into the archive. So we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 at the end. Uh, That's where Kirby will finish up uh, chapter 14 next week, Lord willing, when he rejoins us. Uh, But we're going to be in the Gospel of John uh, today in John chapter 4. Full caveat if you were in the men's study on Friday, You've heard some of this, but not all of this, because I'm drawing from that, but also some uh, previous lessons I've taught. This is the woman at the well, uh, Jesus and the woman in Samaria. And so I'll read the text. You can read it with me. It'll be chapter 4, we'll do verses 1 through uh, 26. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. And what I'd like you to pay attention to here as we read is especially... Uh, How Jesus interacts with this woman, specifically through the lens of uh, what are some principles we can glean for evangelism, for ministry, uh, that sort of thing. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship.'" Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth.'" For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. My intention this morning is not to cover in detail... (coughs) in a full exegetical study, this large text, but really just to glean on the surface some key principles for evangelism, for ministry, for service. Uh, It's not just about evangelism. It's really uh, the sort of thing uh, that we can use in all of our life as we're seeking to serve others as Christians. And so the first thing I want to draw our attention to is something of the context Uh, Jesus uh, has been speaking to Nicodemus uh, and he's been giving his discourse on the new birth uh, by the sovereign supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And now uh, he is traveling, we're told, uh, to Galilee. Uh, He's leaving Judea where he was and he's going to Galilee. But in between Judea and Galilee is this place called Samaria. And ordinarily, uh, the way you would get To Galilee from Judea was not the direct route as the crow flies through Samaria, but you would actually cross east of the Jordan and go north and then cross back over west. Why? Well, it's because the Jews had no dealings, as we've read, with the Samaritans. Uh, Samaritans uh, were considered half breeds, Uh, they were part Jewish, uh, part Gentile, to use something of an anachronistic word, but they're not full blooded Jews. What's happened is during the exile, Uh, Those who were deported to to Babylon uh, were in Babylon, but those who were left behind have intermarried uh, with the nations around them. And so there's some religious affinity. Uh, The Samaritans have uh, the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of Moses, but they don't recognize most of the other books of the Bible, the Old Testament at this point. And so they know very little, actually, about the promised Messiah. They have some expectation. Of a coming Messiah, and we see that in our text, uh, but they, they don't have all the details that the Jews have. Their worship is in a different place, it's on Mount Gerizim instead of in Jerusalem, and that's sort of the context of who the Samaritans are. Now, I think it's significant, though, that when Jesus goes to Galilee, that's where he's trying to go, he doesn't take the normal route east of the Jordan, north, and then back west to circumvent his encounter. Uh, with the Samaritans. Actually, he goes the direct route. Uh, It's actually a more difficult route, even though it's technically more direct. If you look at the topography of of the area, uh, crossing over to the east and then heading north was actually pretty level ground. But to go directly through Samaria required going up and down the various mountain ranges. It's a mountainous area. It was very strenuous, which explains why Jesus, when he gets to this town of Sychar, what does he do? He sits beside a well. And this is really where I want to draw our first point. Uh, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to evangelism, when it serves, comes to serving it all as a Christian, whatever your gifts may be, uh, Jesus sets the example as one who wearies himself for the sake of others, right? He could have avoided this whole situation. He could have taken the flat ground across the Jordan and gone north uh, on that level ground. But instead, he's going up and down the mountains. And he does so specifically because he knows he wants to talk to this woman, right? I mean, Jesus is—this is not a surprise encounter for Jesus at all. He's, he's God. He, he knows what's going on. But he willingly subjects himself uh, to the toilsome travel— Uh, to to take the harder place uh, in order to minister to this woman. We likewise need to be willing to weary ourselves in the service of others. I think that's the the first thing we learn about Jesus' ministry from this text, uh, is that he is willing to weary himself, to work hard, and to get tired. And I think often about that, uh, if at the end of the day, at the end of the week, uh, you aren't, exhausted, it's probably because you're not accomplishing much during the day. Uh, We need to be willing to tire ourselves. That's the first point. Second point, very important corollary to that, Jesus takes time to rest. He, He does sit down by the well. He does ask eventually this woman for some water. And the tendency is for people to fall in one of two ditches, right? Either they are lazy and don't want to work at all and use their gifts at all and serve anybody except for themselves and they don't get anything done or they are workaholics and it's very hard to find that middle ground that balance between working hard and resting well at the right time and in the right place after having done all you needed to do right Uh, jesus works hard but he also knows how to rest that's the Uh, second point I would like to make now as we look at the encounter that Jesus has starting sort of in verse 7 he engages in a conversation with this woman he does so uh, by way of a a command really a, a request give me a drink but my point here is that Jesus takes the initiative right Jesus doesn't wait for this woman to talk to him he takes the initiative to talk to her. He says, give me a drink. And the reason is explained for us uh, why he needs to ask this woman. It's because his disciples are off in town. And likely he doesn't have the implement, uh, whether a leather skin bucket or a, a scoop of some sort to to fetch the water. And so he asks this woman to do it for him. So he takes the initiative. We need to take the initiative as well in our conversations with people, right? Uh, a lot of people need to hear the gospel. Jesus is going to have a a, a whole conversation here, and it starts with a simple request for some water. Uh, wouldn't be the strangest sort of thing to happen. I'm always amazed the sorts of conversations that start over mundane, earthly things, but you bridge from the, the secular to the, the religious to the spiritual, and next thing you know, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And so second, the first thing work hard. Second thing, rest well. Third thing, take initiative to talk to people. You can't have opportunities to share the gospel if you never speak to people. But more significantly and fourthly is the way that Jesus sort of transcends these cultural biases. I've alluded to that already, right? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans because they see them as religiously corrupt half-breed, right? Uh, They are not pure Jews, and so they don't want to have anything to do with them. They worship uh, God in a different way, in a different place. And so most of them just avoided each other. You know, Greenville is a, you know, Bible Belt type place. But more and more, uh, what I have found is that people coming here are not coming from Christian backgrounds. Uh, Neo paganism, New Ageism, all of that is abundantly growing in the Greenville area. Uh, we need to learn how to engage with people who believe substantially different things than we believe Uh, and that's a challenge uh, for us I think Uh, but it's a it's something that Jesus does right he doesn't ignore her because she's a, a, a Samaritan the other cultural thing going on here is that he's a Jewish man and she's a Jewish woman and that doesn't stop him either right uh there are all sorts of barriers, both religious and cultural, that could have prevented this conversation. And G- Jesus does not allow any of them to stop him from talking to this woman. We need to not let our own cultural barriers keep us from having conversations with people. Uh, when we're downtown on Main Street, and that's not the only place you can do evangelism. But, you know, evangelism and ministry on the old often requires us to cross these boundaries, right? Uh, you, you go into prisons and you're talking with people who live in a vastly different culture. You're going into the schoolhouses and you're dealing with little children. And it's been a long time since I've been a little child, but you've got to learn how to communicate with these people. Um, when it comes to the streets, you've got people from all sorts of backgrounds. You've got people from different countries, you've got people from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, you've got people from different socioeconomic situations, everything from, you know, big wig CEOs and businessmen all the way down to, you know, itinerant homeless people, you know, coming from all over the place. And we have to learn uh, to share the gospel with all sorts of people. Um, you might have a, a, a huge diversity even in your own families and your places of work. Uh, you, you, you work in one department and you've got your job, but you interact with the, the mail guy or the janitor, uh, whatever it may be. You've got to be able to be willing to cross these cultural boundaries say, I don't have to talk to that guy. Nobody expects me to talk to that guy. But you've got an opportunity to, the mailman, the guy who comes uh, to fix your pipes in your house, service industry people, all opportunities for you to share the gospel across those cultural boundaries. Fourth, uh, fifth, somewhere in there, my numbering's different here, but you're keeping track in your notes, I'm sure. Jesus doesn't have a monologue. I can't count the number of evangelistic training resources I have reviewed and used and how many of them are just a, a one-sided speech? And what you'll notice very obvious in, in our, our, our discourse here is that it's a discourse. Jesus makes a request. The woman asks a question. Jesus kind of answers her question, but it's kind of answering a different question. But there's, there's, there's real communication back and forth. And ministry, evangelism, involves interacting with people Uh, in sincerity actually speaking but also actually listening we've got to be willing to hear people Uh, I I think often about my my experiences uh, with people on the streets as soon as they realize that you're not listening they're not listening either and and so let me just encourage you to to cultivate the skill it's a real skill of active listening right not just thinking about how you're going to respond to them, but really listening. People share a lot, actually. When you start talking about uh, uh, just normal conversation, and then you start bridging towards the, the religious life and the, secular, uh, the, the spiritual life, people start opening up rather quickly. You know, If anything, people tend to be over-sharers, right? And they want to tell you their whole life story after not too long. And all of that is valuable information. Uh, what their spiritual upbringing was. What sort of trials they've encountered, what sort of crises they've experienced, where they are at now, the hard things in life, right? Where things are going well, but also where things are going poorly. And God has things to say to those sorts of people. We're going to see here in a bit with this woman what her situation is, right? And Jesus uses that to minister to her. So listen, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue, Well, as we press forward a little bit in our text, Jesus has this interaction in verses 10, sort of going through 15. They're talking about water, right? And there's this whole question, what is Jesus meaning by this living water uh, that he is promising? And much like his conversation with Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is usually using some kind of I don't know, double entendre, right? Like it's a, he's saying something and the people understand him as saying one thing uh, and it could mean that one thing, but really Jesus means another thing. And so in the case of Nicodemus, he says you must be born again and Nicodemus, he's thinking, what, I've got to climb back into the mother's womb maybe? But Jesus, actually what he means is not born again. The word there has a, a double meaning. It can also be born from above. And that's what he actually means, is that you need to be born from above. Namely, you need a new nature from heaven, from the Holy Spirit. Same thing's going on here. Living water. What could living water in its kind of more common sense mean? Anybody have a guess? From spring or- yeah, from a spring. It's, it's, it's not stagnant water. It's not still water. Uh, he's at Jacob's well, right? Uh, and we think of wells as being sort of like, big holes in the ground and you got like the kind of bucket that goes down it's something like that but it's but the it's it's spring fed right the 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 water comes up from the bottom uh, it's not you know rain barrels catching water from up top uh, it's not you know a, a carved out piece of rock with water falling from above it's it's natural spring water coming up but in order to get the the live water the water at the top of the well for the most part kind of you know that's the the stagnant water. That's kind of her question, right? How are you going to get the living water? It's a it's a deep well and you've got nothing to draw from. And so she's thinking spring water, right? Natural spring water. What does Jesus mean? Yeah, he's referring again, uh, I mean these two co- these conversations with Nicodemus and the woman at the well, they come together for a reason. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's called He says living water, uh, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Why does he call it living water if if it's in reference to the Holy Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit makes that image comparison work? Sharon? Yeah, very simply, that's what the Holy Spirit's job description is, is to give life. And what Jesus is doing here, And what we need to remember, again, in terms of the principles of how we do ministry and why we do ministry, uh, we need to tell people what they actually need. We're not really doing ministry if we're not pointing people to that which they need most, right? Uh, We can meet all sorts of needs, physical needs, uh, needs for food and shelter, needs for uh, you know ordinary acts of kindness i 'm going to talk about this that this evening there 's all sorts of ways we minister to the physical person, but ultimately ministry must reach to those ultimate needs, uh, namely eternal life. Uh, she needs to know about living water, she needs to know about the Holy Spirit and the new birth and regeneration and the washing away of sin and the reconciliation to God and peace with him all that that comes with uh, with this holy Spirit. Ministry involves more than Fulfilling felt needs. People think they have all sorts of needs. Needs for friendship, needs for companionship, needs to, you know, whatever. All sorts of felt needs. The Bible is very clear. Jesus gets to the point. What we really need is the Holy Spirit to enliven us. And so Jesus gives this woman, tells this woman what she truly needs. But if we only tell people what they need, that's not actually enough. You need to be born again. You need living water. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. We tell people just what they need, and we don't tell them where they can get it, how they can get it. We've done them no actual good, right? When you give people uh, the, the, the command of what to do, you need to tell them also, instruct them also how and where they can do that. And that's what Jesus does. She's not going to find this in the well. Where does Jesus say this woman can find living water? In him. In him. It says, if you would have asked me, I would have given it to you. And so we need to be mindful of that, not telling people only what they need, but where and how they can have it. Pressing forward a little bit, we have this interaction a little bit later on about this situation of husbands. Uh, Verse 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. You might wonder, well, why does he suddenly tell her to go get her husband really doesn't seem to fit the, the discourse at all. They're talking about living water and drawing living water and you know all all of that and then suddenly he's telling them, go get your husband. The reason he says that is because he's again God, he knows what is in the hearts of men and women and he knows that he needs to tell her not only what she needs and where she can find it, how she can have it, but also why she needs it. It's that all important why. When we're doing ministry, if we don't give people the reason why they need Jesus, they're no, never going to have a good reason to, to, to receive him, right? And so Jesus, he, he points to her sin. She, he tells this woman of her sin. That's probably one of the, the hardest parts, honestly, uh, about ministering to people as you have opportunity. Uh, we tend to emphasize all the positives of the gospel and what it can do for you and what it can give you and how it will benefit your life. Uh and people love to hear about that, frankly. Uh it's the easiest part. What is the hardest part is to tell people that they're sinners. And actually, not that we can convince them, but we 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 have to do some of the, the, the laboring to show them how serious their sin is, that the Holy Spirit can work in that. You know, most people, if you tell them, hey, we're we're sinners, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Would you say you're a sinner? And most people say, "Yeah, sure, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect," but they have no idea how serious their sin is. And so we've got to labor to tell people about their sin. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't overlook this uncomfortable part of her life, right? And try to turn away and talk about other things because it's awkward, you know? No, he he leans into this problem of hers namely that she has had five husbands and the the woman or the the, the man now, nowadays it might be a woman uh, the man in this case is not her husband she's sleeping around and Jesus uses this uh, to sort of probe her conscience a little bit to, to show her need uh, for this living water and she actually uh, is going to I think become a believer whether she's really a believer at this point it doesn't seem likely but later we find out she's you know, telling people about Jesus that's usually a pretty good sign that she's believed uh, so in terms of principles of ministry and evangelism tell people about their sin you don't need to be a bully or a jerk about it uh, but you have to call people out on it at some level and use the Ten Commandments uh, it's a convenient tool that God's given us uh, to define what sin is And ask people, have you ever been angry with somebody? Jesus says you're liable to judgment. Uh, Have you ever had an unclean thought, lusted after somebody who was not your spouse? Jesus says you've committed adultery. Have you stolen? Have you lied? You, You work your way through the commandments and you probe the conscience and show people that they are sinners so as to enliven them to their need for a Savior. Finally, Jesus doesn't leave it at sort of eternal life and you're a sinner, right? That's sort of the the, the personal aspect of things, right? So often our ministry, our evangelism to individuals ends at the individual. But that's not where Jesus leaves this conversation. Jesus leaves this conversation on the subject, interestingly, of worship. She kind of brings it up. Uh, but Jesus uses this. Uh, it's not where we worship so much as how we worship. Those who will worship God, we're told, must worship him in spirit and in truth. What's going on here again is there's there's similarities between Samaritan religion and Jewish religion. Uh, both involve, you know, uh, worshiping God. Uh, and uh, there are places of worship uh, and there are some, some similarities in how they worship. Uh, but Jesus is specifically going to highlight that very soon it's not going to matter whether you worship in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim. Why is it very soon not going to matter whether you worship in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? Yeah. yeah. G- Jesus is about uh, to die on a cross and raise from the dead and outpour his Holy Spirit, not just on the Jews, but on the Gentiles as well. And so there is a substantial change. God really did require people to worship in Jerusalem uh, before this, this occasion, before Jesus uh, you know, sort of changes things, uh, uh, fulfills things, fulfills the Levitical Code, and fulfills so much of the, the Old Testament laws surrounding these things. Uh, G- the Jews were really required to worship in Jerusalem. And even God-fearing non-Jews were required to worship in Jerusalem. So much of actually the, the historical books, the problem, what's going on there, is they're not actually doing that. And so they're, they're engaging in gross idolatry. But what Jesus' point is that there's an a, a epic change about to happen as he dies and raises again from the dead and pours out the Holy Spirit. Worship will no longer be about the where, Jerusalem or Gerizim, but especially about the how and the, the, the manner as it relates to spirit and truth, right? Uh, that we believe the right things and that we are worshiping him with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, that's what he's getting at here. And so I, 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 all of that, at just a, a broad brush, final point that I, uh, I've alluded to, right? It doesn't end by just getting people to understand they're sinners in need of a Savior. It ends with worship, why have we been saved from our sin? It's so that we can serve in the presence of god and so don't don't so often in evangelical circles we we lop off that last part and we make it all about personal individual salvation, but there is a huge corporate relational aspect to our salvation. the whole reason it exists and, and the whole reason we need it is so that we can dwell with God and God can dwell with us and we can worship him uh, by his spirit. So uh, those are some gleanings uh, from this text. Uh, There are many other things that could be said uh, about this encounter, but I hope some of those will be useful to you as you think about ministering to others, uh, as you have opportunity in your own day-to-day lives, as people are coming over to your house uh, to work on uh, your your plumbing, as people are uh, coming over to share a meal with you, as you're visiting family members, uh, whatever interactions you have with people. Always be thinking uh, about how you can have a conversation with them. To, to, to lean into some of these spiritual truths, to show them their need of a Savior, to show them their sin, uh, that they too might be able to worship in spirit and in truth. Let me close us in prayer and we'll have uh, some time for fellowship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, how he exhausted himself in his years of ministry, working hard, Uh, to serve the needs of others, how he learned to retreat into quiet places uh, to find rest, but also found rest uh, beside a well. And even as he was resting, ministered to the needs of this woman and even ministers to us uh, through her, Lord. We thank you that the gospel transcends cultural barriers. And Lord, I pray that you would help us also uh, to lean into the Uh, the difficulties of ministering to people who do not believe like we believe and do not live and act and behave like we would expect. Uh, But, Lord, uh, make us uh, like Jesus, able and willing uh, to serve all sorts of people. May the words of Paul uh, be on our own lips, that we became all things to all people, Lord, uh, that we might serve them for the sake of Christ. Uh, Lord, would you bless our time of fellowship? Would you be with us as we worship? Would you help your people? to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.